welcome to another special Dead Center edition of the Cinematropolis Radio. I'm your host, Caleb Masters. Today we'll be talking with Ryan Belgard, the writer, director, and producer of one of Dead Center's most anticipated genre films, Gremlin. It's very simple. All you have to do is give the box to someone you love. Pass it along. Do it before the timer runs out. Grandma Mary's dead. What happened? This is attached to me somehow. It's a curse or something. I don't understand it. But I have to get it out of this house before it kills every one of us. That was from the trailer of Gremlin, written, directed, and produced by Ryan Belgart and starring Adam Hampton and Christy K. Boom. Ryan, welcome to the Cinematropolis Radio. Thank you. I did it all by myself. Nobody helped me at all. <laughs> no one. Right. It was all me. So uh, all these other guys that are claiming uh, that's no, no, absolutely not. Uh, I had a, uh, a huge... I want to give first off, uh, I don't want to interrupt your introduction or anything, but I, I do want to say that I'm very, very grateful for my team. I have an amazing team that helps me put these things together. And without them, uh, it's not happening at all. So I just wanted to give a shout out to all the guys. It's, it's a, literally an army of people that have helped put these together and it could not be done without them. For those of you who are not familiar with the film, here's the scoop on Gremlin. Two years after the murder of his 10-year-old son, Adam Thatcher, who is also played by Adam Hampton, receives a mysterious box from a relative containing a terrible secret, a creature that will brutally kill everyone he cares about one by one. The only way to release himself from the curse is to give the box to someone he loves, continuing the never-ending circulation of this ancient evil. Well, Ryan, here you are. Seems like you've really been building a career in the genre sci-fi horror films. 2013 you had the release of army of the frankensteins army of frankensteins yeah and that was my first feature film that i was able to work on uh with my with my team and we did we did it for fun i mean we just wanted to make something you know and we had uh we were driving around and kind of were just joking about uh movie monsters and armies of movie monsters you know and you haven't really we were like oh you know you haven't really seen uh an army of green lumbering frankenstein monsters i've seen all the other kinds of monsters like in a group you know but not like that and then uh, my buddy Andy said he's one. He's the he's the guy that uh, is our shooter and editor and color guy and everything. And he said uh, he said yeah. You then you got to throw them all back in time, like to the Civil War or something like that. You know, and we were just like, what? That's crazy. And uh, that you know, the idea just kept sort of blossoming, and we kept writing stuff down and had ideas on how to incorporate Abraham Lincoln and all this stuff. And yes. we we ended up uh, ended up writing the screenplay and and went into uh, you know we found some uh, some some money to start putting it together, and we ended up making it. And fortunately, we were. Um, Kind of uh, because of that, we were discovered by a guy named Galen Christie from High Octane Pictures, who is now our sale, uh, very, my very uh, close friend and our sales agent who represents our movies moving forward. And uh, that experience has really um, sort of opened my eyes to the business side of independent filmmaking, which I think uh, when I was, you know, when I was making Army of Frankenstein's, my biggest goal was to was to get it into a festival, you know, was to get it into Dead Center and play Dead Center, and we we did, and it was amazing. And, um, but I had learned that there is a whole world out there of sales for films and distribution and things like that for films like this that exists. And, um, when we kind of learned how to make films for that purpose, then things started to really change as far as like how we were making films and what was happening to the films that we were making. That's super cool. So you kind of start out doing it as a as a fun passion project, but it sounds like you literally just threw everything at the wall yeah. and saw what, what stuck. And then um, you know someone saw it and said, "Hey, there's a there's a demographic for this." Absolutely, so- there's a little bit of luck involved. You know, I mean, it's it's because uh, people ask a lot, like, how do you get you know the attention of uh, a sales agent or somebody or something like that? And and 
I think the thing that we did uh, right was we made a movie starring. Uh, we didn't have money, uh, of course, to hire a celebrity in our film, but we did have a celebrity in our film, and it was Frankenstein, you know. And we didn't even really think about that at the time, but it was something that people were interested in so much so that during that time there was five other big Frankenstein movies that were being made. Oh wow! Uh, Aaron Eckhart's uh, for, uh, I, I Frankenstein, I Frankenstein. Uh, Daniel Ratcliffe's, uh, and James uh, uh, McAvoy. McAvoy. Um, what was that one? Doctor Frankenstein or something like that? Yeah. Or Frank, yeah. And it, was another, it, was another, it was another one of those like kind of kind of came out within a yeah, year of each other, right? Yeah. And then uh, Frankenstein, Frankenstein's Army was also coming out at the same time. So, Army of Frankenstein's our film was being mentioned with all these other ones, and I think uh, in you know newspapers were picking it up or blogs or whatever were picking it up and writing about it and mentioning it along with you know all the Frankenstein movies coming out this year, and we were just we were just laughing, thinking that's hilarious. Uh, it was even mentioned in uh, Fangoria magazine when they were interviewing Richard Raphorst, who did Frankenstein's Army. The last question the interviewer asked him was, "Have you heard of the ripoff movie Army of Frankenstein's?" And, <laughs> and Richard said, "Yeah, I've heard of it. I can't wait to see it," or something like that. And uh, he and I actually talked a little bit back and forth on social media. And he's a super cool guy, and he's very supportive of what we were doing. But uh, we weren't trying to rip anyone off at that time. We didn't. I love the idea that we could like get people talking in a way that doesn't cost money. And a way to do that is to do something. I don't know, kind of like weird or wrong. We use the term Frankenstein's you know, incorrectly on purpose uh, because I wanted people to get mad about it, and they did. I mean, as soon as that thing got out there, all kinds of people were you know, just throwing all kinds of uh, hate towards us because we used the name incorrectly. And I was just like – I thought it was great because there were people – then there would be people on the other side that would come and defend – and defend it and say, well, no, the monster's name is Frankenstein because he's his son and all this stuff. So it was all kinds of funny uh, conversations that it sparked that I think just was nothing but free publicity for. Yeah. Movie, I mean, know? it sounds kind of sounds like you wrote out the, the internet culture, the internet rage culture. You kind of <laughs> use that to your advantage, right? I mean, think about it. If you can, why not? Right. You know, and, um, uh, moving forward to Gremlin now, I mean, if you just the same the same thing. When we started putting Gremlin together, it wasn't called Gremlin. I wanted to do a story that was a little bit like it follows, but with a monster mm -hmm. and, and a little creature. And it kind of spawned from a little short film we wanted to do just for fun. And as we got rolling on it, you know, we decided that it'd be best to make it into a feature. And it was it's you know for a very uh, modest budget. And you know, we just we want we thought we had something there and working with our sales agent and with uh, his experience he kind of guided us through some story things and how we should do it and you know it wasn't going to be called uh, gremlin uh, and then one day he was like uh, he goes ah oh, man he goes it's too bad he goes we got it cuz it was going to be called give it to someone you love that was what the title was on the script and um kind of like riffing on all those titles like it follows or it comes at night or right. it lives in the shadows or whatever right right, right. like the very the very brief like ambiguous meaning right. uh title yeah right right and that's what i had it originally on the title and and so uh galen our sales agent says oh, it's too bad we can't call it gremlin and i just kind of laughed and i was like well <laughs> you know i i think that'd be crazy if we didn't and then i and i was like but i don't know that's just isn't it so close to obviously gremlins you know and aren't we gonna get like in trouble or something. Right. And, and, um, but I went on IMDb and looked it up and there was no, I could not believe it. There was no other movie called gremlin. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> you know, I so mean, yeah, there's someone else hadn't, it's kind of surprising that someone at some point didn't make an actual knockoff of gremlins. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, there was a movie called the gremlin. Right. And of course, gremlins and gremlins Two and all that, but nobody had made a movie called gremlin and I just couldn't believe it. So I called Galen back and I was like, Hey man, there's no movie called gremlin. And he's like, let's do it. <laughs> and so I was like, all right. So, 
when I went back to the cast and crew and told them, by the way, the movie we're working on is now called Gremlin. They were all like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you mean like, you mean like the movie from the eighties? <laughs> right. But, uh, and it, and it works. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, uh, a gremlin is technically, uh, not the things from the 1984. I mean, they, you know, they, they are, but I mean, it's like gremlins existed before that. Right. You know, right, so right. it's, it's something that we can kind of define however we want it to be. And that's why I think, we can sort of get away with calling the movie that. And again, it's the... Right. It's not like the, the original Grim ones. It's not like that was a completely original creature right. no, or notion at the time in, anyway, right? Right, right, right. So when our trailer comes out and you know people start seeing it, the very first thing they do is they think it's a remake of the original and or reimagining of, the, of that one. And then they get uh, a typical responses for them to get upset that it's not, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but again, to me, that's all part of uh, Galen's uh, genius. It's something I learned a long time in the radio business that, like, I would rather, you know, someone once told me my mentor in radio said that if you, if half the people don't hate you, you're not doing it right. And I always thought that was uh, really fascinating because um, this was a guy. His name was Danny Williams. He was a famous Oklahoma City icon in radio. I had the opportunity and great, actually, um, fortune to work with him for a long time in the radio business. And he taught me so much about the entertainment industry. And that was one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that he was he embraced uh, people that didn't like him. And there was plenty. You know, there was plenty of people that didn't like him. Uh, one time, I, as I was working as his producer on the air. We had a uh, a guy call in and, you know, said, Danny, you're the worst, uh, you know, blankety blank guy it's ever been on, you know, I don't even know why you should retire. You're terrible and all this stuff. And I was in charge of, you know, putting the phone calls on the air and I was just going to delete it. And Danny's like, no, 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 play it, you know. And uh, I did. I played it on the air and, and he had, you know, he had such a flood of like support and, you know, people calling back and, you know, he had, for that one call, he had a hundred calls of people saying that guy was an idiot and yeah. all this, yeah. you know? So, I mean, it, it's just kind of like, I, I see the sort of the method to his madness there. And that's kind of when he said, if half the people don't hate you, you're doing something wrong. And so I've always sort of subscribed to that. I would rather be like loved by some and hated by some than just sort of like meh by everybody. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, and, and, right. To, and to do that, I think you have to kind of take risks, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, because there's always going to be critics. I mean, again, speaking of like uh, the, the internet era we live in right now, I mean, there's there's a million critics out there everywhere. And if everyone quit because there were critics or ignored their critics, I mean, we would have a lot less great films out there, really. I mean, because yeah. I mean, I'm sure you take a lot of lessons from the, the critics and you learn from it, right? Oh, sure, man. Sure. I, you know, there's, there's certain guys that I trust that I sort of, that are in our filmmaking circle, uh, that I want their honest feedback and I know they'll give me honest feedback and I try to listen to what they're saying. And, and I think I learn a lot from those guys. I think I learn a lot from just the process of making films and watching them yourself. And then you're sort of like, it's a very weird thing because, you know, like in Gremlin, I don't know if it's scary or not. I can't really tell because I wrote the story and I went through all the stuff. So it's like all the tense moments and scary moments that are in that film. I'm not really sure that they are. So I have to kind of rely on someone else to tell me right. if they are. Right. You're so, you're, you've been so invested from the very beginning. Right. It's, it's, it's hard for you to be really removed from uh, the film process because you already Absolutely. know you already know all the ch- – you, I mean you, you created all the, the tricks. Yeah, and there's only one point in the whole process for me that I'm genuinely like thrilled or scared by the story, and that's like when it happens on paper. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when when the idea comes that like, oh wow, and then this could happen, and I'm like, oh, you know, then then that's the mo- that's the moment, and it's very fleeting. It's like gone immediately, but uh, I have to sort of trust that and remember that that was there at one point. But um, anyway, I have a, a nice circle of friends. But to answer your question about whether or not the critics or whatever, if I'm listening to their to what they're saying, or you know. Absolutely. And if it's, uh, especially if it's a consistent, 
um, gripe or a consistent complaint or about something, then I'm, I soak it all in and I listen to it and I take, I think I'm the same way with that as I am with anyone that gives feedback. It's just, it's kind of like, I will listen to it. I'll think about it. If enough people say it, then I'm going to be like, okay, then there's probably something to this. We just kind of get the filtered out too, because, because there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of really empty, hollow noise shouting at you about everything that's wrong with your film too. So I, I mean, it's like, it's it's a really interesting time we're in where you, you have all these outside people Mm -hmm. giving you feedback, you know, used to be before the internet. I mean, you you only had your circle of friends or studio executives along those lines. Yeah. And yes, that's a very good point. And one of my friends told me a long time ago, he said, you know, everybody's an expert in television and movies because they watch so much of it, you know? And I I actually didn't take that as like an insult to people. I took that as no, that's the truth. You know, people, people might not be able to tell you why they don't like a movie or technically what's wrong with it to fix it, but they can tell you that it's not good, you know, or they can tell you that it sucks because of this reason or that reason, or, and it might be just, it's a completely subjective thing, but still for me, like the point of making the movies, the thing that I get the most out of, and then what I like the most is the fact that I get to, uh, entertain and tell a story to an audience, you know, and that's the thing that I'm thinking about is, how, you know, we're making these movies for an audience and how they respond to it. And that's sort of the drug or the crack or whatever to me. If like if I'm in there in a screening and I'm getting the uh, feedback that way, you know, like not necessarily a written review or something, but more like if there's a moment in the film where I want people to gasp or scream or or cry or laugh and they do, then that's really very rewarding. Or, if, or on the other hand, if there's a moment where I thought would get a cry or a gasp or something and it doesn't, then I'm, then I'm evaluating what did I do wrong? How do I do it better next time? Is that kind of the Modrin when you're watching with, with, with audiences? I mean, that's gotta be really interesting, exciting and and exciting as a filmmaker, being able to watch your film on the big screen with your audience. Is that something you're, you're, are you, are you paying pretty close attention to audience reactions early on? Absolutely. And I think it's impossible not to. And I know that's why a lot of my filmmaker friends are, don't even like to be in there. You know what I'm saying? And and I don't blame them. Um, and sometimes depending on how sick I am of the movie, (laughs) you know, I don't want to be in there either, but, but no, I think it's a, I think what's cool about it is it's a fantastic learning opportunity. Opportunity. Because if you pay attention to all of what's happening, and like I was saying, you know, you sort of like you can equate what they're doing to what you expected them to do. And if you can sort of figure out why uh, they're laughing or crying or not laughing or crying, then I think that's going to help you become better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's I think it's really great advice for uh, you know a lot of up and coming filmmakers out there. Uh, learn how to read your audience and know yeah. how to know how to take the right criticisms yeah. versus listen to all the uh, you know the internet uh, noise and trolls. Now, uh, the, going back to, to Gremlin, based on the premise, it, it seems like it's it's a little bit of Pandora's box meets kind of like one of those old school chain letters, you know, mm-hmm. like where you get the chain letter, you put your doll in and you mail it off to, to your friend or something like that. So I'm kind of curious, like, did you have any specific inspirations for this film at all? As far as like outside other films or things like that? Or, or uh, it could be other films, e- either or. You know, I think that I've always loved um, s- uh, science fiction and Twilight Zone type stories. You know, I always love that kind of stuff and Outer Limits and just like kind of mind twisting psychological horror kind of things. And my goal for this, it's kind of funny because my goal for this was how can I make a tense and sort of scary movie without showing much of it that has a creature because we can do CG creature effects, but like we can't do them to the level of or quantity of like an ILM or something. So it's like, you know, we can only show the monster, not that much. Mm -hmm. So what can I do? Well, practically I'm thinking, well, if the monster comes out of a box, then I can show the box and the box will be scary, hopefully, because people know what's in it and I don't have to actually show what's in it all the time. So that was the reasoning for the box. And then the whole thing was like, very early on we were like okay let's come up with some kind of rules for this box and the idea is that you have to give the box to someone that you love that's the only way you can get rid of it 
Like it's going to kill everyone around you. And there's a timer on it that's going down. And like, you don't know really what's going on with the timer, but you know that if you are cursed with this box, it's going to come out, kill somebody, go back in. And it's going to keep doing that until you give it away to someone that you love. And it could be anyone that you love, but you have to truly love them. Now, what I thought was fun about this story was that like the guy who gets the box doesn't know any of these rules, you know, so he's trying to find them out and he finds them out gradually and he's trying to uh, destroy it or throw it away. Or it's funny when I see people's comments on YouTube, they're like, why don't you just throw it in the river? Or why don't you just bury it in cement? Or why did like all of those questions are answered in the movie? Because I had to think about like, what would this guy try to do with it? I, I didn't want you to be able to trap it or destroy it or just give it to someone, anybody that you didn't like or didn't know, like just get rid of it. It had to be like a very painful way of give, getting rid of it. That was really, really fun and really challenging. And that's what I kind of like the most about the movie is that it turned out to be something that's like following this dad of this family who's like having to make these horrible decisions, you know, about how to get rid of this thing and what to do with it and like what, how it's going to affect the people that he loves and the other people in his life and all that stuff. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's got a cool little creature that's coming out and killing people. But to me, it's not really about that. It's about the psychological turmoil this dad is going through and like kind of like how, how his journey and how he sort of changes from what he was before this happened to where he is now at the end when there's not many people left, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's some real tension there, especially if, you know, if you're, if you're you know, invested in this character, I mean, he, I'm sure he, once he figures out what it does, he doesn't want to give it away. But at the same time, He's got he's to yeah. take care of himself, you know? He's got to yeah. stay alive. That, yeah, I think that's a really great uh, really great and really exciting tension. Speaking of, you know, characters, how did you guys go about casting? Adam Hampton in the lead. Uh, yeah. He's really great. How did you guys, do you guys have like a specific casting agent you go through? Or did you guys have anyone in mind specifically when you started writing the script? I wrote the, I, I'll tell you how lazy I am. I wrote the script for Adam Hampton. And the character's name is Adam in the movie. So that's how. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. You're like, yeah. I'm going to tell the alternate history of right. your life, Adam. Yeah, yeah. Um, Adam and I had worked together in the past. And he's, uh, you know, he's a great writer and, and a director I really respect who's done some fantastic stuff. He's, he's had uh, films in Dead Center. And, and uh, I think that he comes from a place in his writing that's very um, true and artistic. And he's comes, he, has like, he, he can really find uh, weight and, and like, truth and realness in storytelling and in characters. And here I am on the other side of that spectrum trying to figure out how to make a, you know, a giant monster climb on top of a house, right? So like the marriage of that together, I thought really worked well. And he came in sort of as a consultant writing partner, sort of, you know, on Gremlin and, and, and on future films too, we're working together like that. But I think we were great as a team because he looks at it a little bit differently than I do. I know he's a great leading man and I know that he's, he's uh, got a, a, a great look and just everything that I thought um, this character needed to be was him. And it's interesting because I don't think the character's written to be very likable in the movie, but what Adam brings to it is a likability just because of his performance and because of his, the nature of, his acting, I thought he makes the character sympathetic. And uh, one of the questions I always ask people after they watch it, watch the Gremlin movie is what did you think of the Adam character? Did you like him or did you hate him? And um, because I don't think he's really written as a very sympathetic character, you know? And so it's kind of interesting to see what people's, what people's reaction is because I get all kinds of different action, all kinds of different uh, responses to that, which I think is really cool. And it's a lot to do with Adam's performance, the weight he gives to it. It's really good. Uh, uh, so, so he, we, he, we knew we didn't audition anyone for him. Um, that was just him. Uh, Christy K Boone was someone else that she plays Julie, which is Adam's wife in the movie. And she's, she delivers such a great performance. I can't wait for people to see her in this because she's just, if you've seen stranger things, right. And, and, uh, you know, we're known a writer in that is like a wreck the whole time. She's like bawling and freaking out the entire stranger things 
when I watched Stranger Things, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like Gremlin times 20 because, <laughs> um, because Christy had to act that way for pretty much the entire Gremlin movie. I mean, she's just a wreck, emotional wreck the whole time. And, and I think that she does such a nice job of playing that, um, sort of like frantic and, and, uh, broken, um, sort of personality that it was really, really fun to work on those types of scenes with her. And that's something completely different from Army of Frankenstein's because Army of Frankenstein's was a little bit more camp and cheese and sort of just fun. This one was like, okay, I can, I can see in Army of Frankenstein's people are laughing and groaning and that's great. But in this one, can I make them scared? Can I make them cry? Can I, you know, like that's what I was really trying to do with this. So, um, you know, there's some scenes in, in Gremlin that are, pretty like raw and emotional and it's really fun to work and direct those scenes, especially when you have an actress like Christy Boone and um, you know, there's a three or four minute scene in the middle where she's just like, you know, this really broken person and gives this like really, really intense performance. I'm interested to see people's reaction to that scene because when we screened it at our cast and crew screening, there was like a lot of nervous laughter at first during mm-hmm. that scene and then like silence, Wow, you know, cause wow. I didn't really know how to react to it and I don't want to give it away like of, of what it is, but, uh, I'm interested. I'm always interested to talk to people about that. And like, if people are starting to laugh during it, I always like, I asked some people like, why were you laughing during that scene? And they were like, cause I didn't know what else to do. I was like yeah. so freaked out. It's like the uncomfortable yeah. laughter. You're like, Oh uh, ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's cool. And I, that's yeah. something that, and then, and then, uh, you know, we had some other great catcher stare, Connie Franklin, uh, Mike page, Kyle Pennington, really great. All local cast, all local actors. I went through uh, magna talent agency and maybe Switzer talent agency. Who's they're not around anymore, but, uh, magna, I went through to get a lot of, uh, a lot of the cast. And as we move forward in our next movie that we're working on now, we did it a little bit differently and used Michelle DeLong as our casting director. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So you had like a dedicated casting director right. on staff versus having to go specifically through an agency. Yeah. And it helped, it helped a lot. I mean, it's, I would recommend that. I mean, it's so much, uh, well you get such a, um, you get a bigger talent pool, you know, and you get more people to choose from, from all over the place, but you also get, uh, just the logistics of having auditions rather than having like a hundred people come and audition for you live. It's more kind of like you see a lot of taped auditions or you see a lot mm-hmm. of other. And so you can kind of whittle those down and kind of like, then you can see just certain people in person. And right. that felt like uh, a more, I guess, succinct way to do it. Right. It kind of streamlines it for you. Yeah. So you don't have to, like you said, you don't have to sit through every audition or see, or watch all of these tapes. You can kind of get it boiled down yeah. to what your casting director has to show you. That's yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. Um, so I, I do want to talk a little bit about the, the grim one, the CGI character. I mean, it seems like he's, uh, you know, maybe not in the movie a lot, but, but used effectively. Can, now, can you talk a little bit about how you settled on the on the design? This is actually kind of a neat story. When I say it's not in the movie a lot, it's not in the it, it is in the movie a lot. I mean, every every like ten minutes or so, he he pops out, and makes an appearance, and does something, kills somebody or whatever. Um, and there's probably I think we counted somewhere around 150 shots of that thing in the movie, okay. so it's in there quite. A, I mean, compared to Spider Man, there's not a lot of you know what I'm saying visual effect shots, but. Um, there's a lot for us. So the design of the creature came about because uh, the movie's low budget, and we didn't have we didn't have the money to um, to have one commissioned for the movie. So we went to a, a website that's like a stock website, where it's like high stock photo kind of, where you can like download pre made stuff. And we found this creature on there, and we were like, "Hey, that's great! You know, it'll yeah. work fine." And it came with the license to use it and everything. And we, <laughs> now, now what it was was just the mesh, right? It was just the it was the mesh, and it had the texture and it had the color, but it didn't have the rig we needed. So, 
you know, for a CG animation to work properly, you have to have a, a rig, which, you know, if you're not familiar with that, it's kind of like imagine sort of like a, an armature skeleton that you can like have controls connected to it and you can like move it around sort of like a puppet. Right. That's, it didn't have that. So we had to build that from scratch, which we did, which is no problem. And then, um, we had to animate it from scratch and I had, um, uh, Stephanie Roach, I hired her to come work on the movie and now she's a full-time employee at Bowling Point and she is amazing and so talented. A girl right out of school, uh, well, she had taught it at Oklahoma Christian for a while, computer animation and 3D animation, but she's so talented and really good with organic animation and uh, she animated all the shots in Gremlin and now she's working on the dinos for our next film. But it's funny because I, uh, as the Gremlin poster was starting to get seen and put out there a little bit, I was contacted by a guy that said, oh, hey, that's cool that you're using that creature. And uh, we started messaging back and forth. And I was like, yeah, what's significant about it? I just got it off the uh, – and he goes, he goes, well, I know the guy who actually made that. And he goes, that – he's – I forgot his name, but he's a guy in uh, Belgium or somewhere, somewhere over in, in uh, Eastern Europe. And he uh, submitted that. Uh, he worked on the Thing movie, the new one. Oh, wow. And he said – cool. And he's like, that creature was one of the rejected submissions for – the thing movie. Really? Yeah. And it was on sale like on Shutterstock? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> I know, I know. And so I was like, whoa, that's so cool, you know? And I. <laughs> so you guys basically had the thing in your movie. <laughs> and I, well, I ended up getting in touch with that guy. Uh, and I said, hey, man, can we, you know, here's our trailer and here's what we're doing. Would you mind if I credit you uh, personally on the, as the creature designer, you know? And uh, he was, he gave us the blessing and was, thought it was cool and, all that stuff. So it was really, it was really neat because I, you know, when you buy that stock stock stuff, you don't know who did it or whatever. So it's kind of neat to be able to actually talk to that guy and meet him and let him know what we're doing. Yeah. And yeah. There's a little bit of a scare there when we were like, are we sure we can use this legally? So yeah, that's kind of where the, the creature came from. And as we move forward into other films, we're having our creatures uh, designed for us and built for us and things like that. Cause we have a little bit more money to do it, but um, that's kind of part of the goal to just get better every time and have a little bit better, um, you know, better, better models, better rigs, uh, better animation, better lighting, all the, all the rendering and the lighting and stuff on Gremlin was done by me just on my iMac. And it took, you know, like six months to oh, do wow. it. So it was a lot of work. And, um, but you know, I mean, it's, it's something that I've kind of been doing for a hobby, uh, for about 10 years. And I started learning 3d animation just kind of on the side and, I always kind of thought that if I could clone myself, I'd send the other one off to, you know, Pixar and try to get a job yeah. there, you know, cause I really love it. It's like something I've done for a hobby and just really, really love. And with Gremlin, I finally felt after about 10 years of messing with that stuff, I finally felt that I had the ability to uh, try to put you know, some kind of creature in a film, you know, and it's pretty tricky, but I've got a good team and we were able to get um, some results that am I satisfied 100% with them? I mean, no, but I hope I never am. You know, I, I mean that's the thing with, with directors and artists, though. How often are you always a hundred percent satisfied? You know, I mean, there's always you always feel like there's at some point you have to just stop and say, all right, here's the movie. Yeah, we got we got to move on, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's and knowing what you've made is like a big key to this, and knowing you know uh, that every movie you make is just a stepping stone to uh, like 
there might not be anything you can do to help that movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. but but what you've learned can help the next one. Right. So you just keep moving forward. So. Yeah, no, and I you know I think that's a it's a great point. I mean, you really are climbing this ladder uh, of sorts to some degree, or or hopping a lot of stepping stones because mm-hmm. Army of Frankenstein started as fun, and you guys are able to make enough money for it to fund Gremlin and and put back into your own business um, to help you raise more money. Um, and you've got Gremlin, and now uh, you know for our listeners who don't know, you've got an upcoming uh, feature film uh, called Jurassic Games that got a lot. I mean, early release got some really great publicity and it seems like uh, from like uh, Entertainment Weekly and uh, Death Birth Movies uh, it's uh, getting a lot of really good buzz and people seem excited about it that's so cool and we and we're really grateful for that but uh, yeah we just wrapped up shooting Jurassic Games um, and it's got Ryan Merriman in it and and Perry Reeves in it Adam Hampton is in it again and Katie Burgess who's also in, in Gremlin makes makes an appearance as a major character in it and um, it's just a fun it's a really really fun movie about um you know, these 10 death rows in the near future and these 10 death row inmates have to play in a virtual reality game that's super realistic, like completely realistic, and they have to fight against dinosaurs and each other and whoever survives uh, gets their freedom. And it's kind of like Running Man meets Hunger Games meets Jurassic Park, you know, and so they're all like doing all these sort of like survivor style challenges, but dinosaurs are trying to kill them while they're doing them, yeah. you know, so it's a really fun it's a really fun, uh, fun movie that um, we've had a lot of fun doing, and we're in post right now, just getting ready to do to do all the digital effects. Um, but the reason that movie, it's kind of funny because like that's not the I wouldn't just like sit in my room and like come up with that story. Uh, you know, it's it's all, it's all based on um, sort of like market research and based on what our sales agents' uh, conversations with his buyers and what people are wanting. And so when we make when we put all that formula to get together and come up with a story and come up with something that is very attractive to the buyers, then even the poster, you know, gets people excited like that. And that's kind of what we're, what we're sort of going for is like the importance of like, and I, and I I say this a lot to filmmakers and other friends and stuff and people that are just interested in this kind of thing, but like, it's so important that your title and your, and your poster and your trailer and your key art and your synopsis and your logline, like those things have to sell the movie. You know what I'm saying? At this point in the game, you know, unless you've got um, a really, really big star or unless you're a really, really big director and people are coming to see your movies just because you're who you are. Right. I think it's really important that, you know, you've got to, you've got to tell the story on the front of your DVD cover. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? And, and that's, uh, I think, from my experience, uh, distributors are looking for that kind of film to buy. And they, it's kind of low risk, you know, because think about like um, on the shelves at Family Video or in the iTunes queue or whatever, and like you're scrolling past everything. What are you looking at? You're looking at the cover. Mm-hmm. You're looking at something that's going to jump out at you and catch your attention when you're going th- scrolling through the sea of different things that are, that are there. You know, and I don't get to put Brad Pitt's face on the cover of our, right. of our movies. So, you know, we're trying to do... Things like concepts and and ideas, especially sci-fi and horror and things like that, that are going to jump out and get people's attention. Right. So, so I mean, as much as you know, people should make films they want to make. They also need to make sure that they're 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 somewhat marketable or they're marketed as best as possible, um, so they can continue to make and finance other films. Man, I think that that's that, that's the billion dollar question because we talk about that all the time. Because the last thing I want to do is tell filmmakers they shouldn't make the film they want to make. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. I I mean, uh, I've watched uh, some of the other Dead Center films that are in this year and I love them and they're so good. They are so good. Now, is it a sales film? Maybe not. It depends on what your goals are as a filmmaker. You know, if your goal is to make the film that is, is uh, the artistic uh, vision and you, you know, the dream of like what you want and you don't want to have to follow sort of the rules of what it takes to make a sales film, 
then I'm not ever going to say, don't do that, you know, because like everyone has their different path. And like, who knows, like that guy who goes and makes that film could go on to take that film and win Sundance and get distribution and like go a completely different way. You know what I'm saying? All I'm saying is like, this is one way to do it. Right. You know, I've met, I've met a few people on the film festival circuit with Army of Frankensteins that were truly, I sat across the table for them and thought, this guy's like a filmmaking genius. And this guy could do whatever he wants and he's going to be, he's going to become, you know, the next Rod Serling or whoever. Right. And, uh, there's, there's a few guys that are like that out there and I can't ever discourage someone and say, well, you're not that guy. I know I'm not that guy, you know? So I'm having to do more of a kind of like work a day blue collar kind of method where it's just like, I'm going to like scrape, you know, and claw to the top the way that I can do it. And then I'm going to get, I'm going to get better and better and better as I go. And hopefully at some point, you know, uh, that movie will be there and I'll be able to, to tell that passion project sort of the way that I want to and all that. Now I'm putting my passion and energy into these movies. It's not like I'm just doing them to do the next one. I mean, it's a big commitment, you know, it's a year of like solid work to make these movies or more. And so to do that, I want to make sure that something's in these stories and something's in these movies that I love. And there is, you know, there's something that I can, I can like look back and sit back and be very happy with Army of Frankenstein's and Gremlin and Jurassic games, like all these movies that have like these sort of fantastical sort of creatures and stuff in it. It's like, but they're still at its heart. Like to me, Gremlin's a father son story. And I like that a lot, you know, so I can still put that in there and I can still kind of make it, make it a, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's a, in a way it's a family drama, you know what yeah. I'm saying? But, um, but yeah, I, I, I have a lot of respect for, uh, all the filmmakers, especially locally that are just doing their thing. But I have thought this, and there's something interesting. If you do have that idea, that's like, if you're just starting out as a filmmaker or haven't made a film yet, and you have that idea that you just have to make, have to get it out there. And like, this is my story that I have to tell. And it's whatever it is. I would suggest maybe think about holding on to it because maybe save that idea, your baby for when you've made a few films, three or four or five or six films. And then you're going to just be so much better at making films that you're going to do that idea justice. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because your first film is like, unless you're one of those guys I was talking about that are amazing, brilliant geniuses, your first film probably going to suck. Right. You know what I'm saying? So no matter how great your idea is or how great your uh, story is that you're trying to tell, like you, you're not, you're just probably not there. Technically you're not there experience wise to like, you know, every film we're doing as we look back on it, we're like, okay, there's a million things I would change about that now. Right. That I've done it. Right. I, I mean, Steven Spielberg didn't start out making, you know, E.T. or Jurassic Park, right? Like he started out with Duel, which is not a bad movie, but it's certainly not uh, showcasing the very yeah. best work he did. I mean, he had to learn those lessons and kind of make a lot of the films before he got to make those masterpieces, you know? Like yeah. Yeah. To me, it's like playing a musical instrument you know i mean it's like you've got to practice and practice and practice and practice and practice and you know yeah there was mozart who at five could play it perfectly but i mean most people have to practice and practice to get good and i think uh, filmmaking is very much the same way so i would just maybe encourage encourage guys who like think hey i'm going to become a filmmaker and make my vision to well maybe hope maybe make something else first a few times and then and then uh you'll be able to uh, maybe hold on to that because we've got a we've got a movie that we were going to do for our second movie that's kind of that way. It's like mm-hmm. it's a little bit too big for what our budgets can handle right now, and it's a little it's not really it's a cool sci fi thing that I think would do really well and be very cool, and it's just not we're just not ready to do it yet. Right? You know, no, I think it's a really great way to to look at it though. I mean, because you you want to make sure that you have you have this awesome story idea that you're really passionate about, but you want to make sure when you do it that you've got the budget and you've got the skill. I mm-hmm. mean, because you've you've made a few films, you've got a few films on your belt, so that when you do make that film. It really is 
200% all you've got at yeah. that point in time. And you've, and you've taken all the steps to make sure you have that to give. Right. Well, when you're first starting out in your career, you'll always give a hundred percent. Sure. But like your hundred percent might not be good enough to get your film where you want it to go. Right. You know, and that's just learning. I mean, that's just a, you know, one of the, one of the big criticisms of army of Frankenstein's I heard a lot was, well, this is like a student film. And I, and I was like, well, it is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. you know, so, um, I learned a ton doing that. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of merit, I think, to just kind of like, you know, waiting to tell your, if you've got an ultimate passion project and you just kind of waiting until you're really feel confident that you're ready to do it. And then up until then, all the projects you do, that doesn't mean you can't put, passion into it you can and put your voice in it you right. can and that's what we're i think we're trying to do now very very cool well that, that's super exciting again Jurassic games is a, a film that we'll hear more about soon i'm sure now for maybe some of our listeners who did not get to catch the film at dead center film festival gremlin is going to be available though to watch very soon uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that sure we just recently were able to announce that july 11th will be the um united states release uh, in Canada, release of Gremlin on VOD platforms. I don't know exactly which platforms yet, but it'll be on the VOD platforms, so you'll be able to to check it out there. Very, very cool. It's very exciting times. Ryan, congratulations on getting into Dead Center, playing this film. Thanks. Um, and I, I'm really excited to see what you guys are going to make next. Uh, before we leave off, is there anywhere people can keep up with you or Gremlin and any of the other films online? Oh, sure. You can just find me, Ryan Belgard, on on Facebook. Just R-Y-A-N-B-E-L-L-G-A-R-D-T, two L's. Also, the Gremlin movie on Facebook, you can find that, or Army of Frankenstein's, uh, or Jurassic Games. Like, all that stuff is pretty easily easy, searchable on Facebook. And uh, real quick, if you, if you don't mind, one thing uh, I'd like to add before we sure. before we go is just I want to give um, a big shout-out to all the people that put on Dead Center. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. Dead, Center's the, um, Dead Center is the reason that I got into doing this because years and years ago when dead center might've been dead center 10 or something, I remember watching a film and a local director and I remember him getting up and talking about his movie afterwards. And I remember thinking, I want to be that guy. I want to do that. Awesome. And, uh, that was at dead center. And I, ever since then I've had just sort of like, you know, I go whenever I can and I, I love supporting the films there and I think they do a really great job. I've been to festivals uh, now all over the country and Dead Center is uh, far and away one of my favorites. They do an amazing job. The attendance is incredible. They treat filmmakers uh, like stars and it's just really, really fun. The, um, you know, the, the educational things that they're doing are, are really important too and really cool and I'm fortunate to be able to, you know, to have, to have taught a... Uh, dead center class on CG animation to high school kids and stuff like that. So stuff like that is like really fun. And, and I think great for helping do what I'm trying to do. Uh, and what we're all, I think hopefully trying to do here, just build the filmmaking community up. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and again, yeah, big thanks to dead center for putting on all the hard work. Ryan, thank you so much for joining the Cinematropolis radio today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This interview of the Cinematropolis Radio was hosted, written, and produced by Caleb Masters. This has been a Cinematropolis Radio podcast from thecinematropolis.com. To hear more about more episodes of the Cinematropolis Radio, make sure to head on over to Twitter at Planet Thunder or give Planet Thunder Productions a like on Facebook. You can also find Caleb on Twitter at CMastersTalk. Thank you so much for joining our Dead Center 2017 special coverage. Until next time.